0: with your amex card entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't miss events while supplies last make every tap music to your ears warning
1: this product contains nicotine nicotine is an addictive chemical black buffalo products are intended for adults age 21 and older who are consumers of nicotine or tobacco if you're an adult age 21 and older Around the country. Black Buffalo Tobacco Alternative. Bold flavor, full pouches. You know our trusted partner, TireRack.com, for their fast, free shipping, free road hazard protection, convenient installation options, and their great selection of best tires, like the highly consumer rated Yokohama Avid Ascend LX. But did you know they sell other automotive products? Wheels, brakes, suspension. Just to name a few. Go to TireRack.com slash TireRack.com. The way tire
0: buying should be.
1: What's going on, everybody? John Middlecoff from the 3 and Out podcast. Brought to you live, aka recorded because it's a podcast. Colin Coward Podcast Network. Uh, got a big show coming up today. Going to touch on Matt Ryan and his new deal and why I like it. Looking back a couple of weeks removed from the draft, some trades that should have been done uh, that were not done, and just my thoughts and my ever-growing philosophies on what to do in the first round when you're presented with a big trade package, and then the way that these rookie quarterbacks right now are being treated by their organizations, Baker, Sam Darnold, Josh Allen, and just the way they're approaching you know, whether the competition's open or, or whether it's not, but... Wherever you subscribe to your podcast, and if you do it in iTunes, and we'll get to these later as we do on every podcast, I'll answer some of your questions. Just go to subscribe, rate, and in the review section, you can leave a comment, and in that comment, leave a question about anything. College football, we actually have kind of an interesting college football nugget question today, obviously the NFL, and I'll get to them at the end of every podcast. But let's start here. Matt Ryan just signed a a massive deal. The most expensive deal in, in league history, averaging the, the agents and NFL executives, they, they love the term average per year. I, I don't give a shit. The, the only thing I ever care about is how much truly guaranteed. Like, like in baseball, if you sign a $150 million deal, I, I don't care how it breaks down per year. I just know you have $150 million coming to you. Football, that's not the case. What is the guaranteed cash? Like Jimmy Garoppolo signed the biggest deal ever in NFL history average per year. But his but his total guarantee was not. It got trumped by Kirk Cousins. I think Jimmy was 74 million. Kirk Cousins obviously got a little over 84 million. Then Matt Ryan flew by them all and well deserved and got a hundred million dollars. I think this is probably the easiest contract the Atlanta Falcons will ever sign. And I think most of you will go, God, you know, Matt Ryan's a little bit overrated. He always leaves a little bit to be desired. And I'd argue, beside maybe Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady, every quarterback does. Uh, if you don't have one of those two guys, you're always going to be wishing you had, you know, a little bit better. But to me, Matt Ryan is in the crew of the next group of guys, which is Russell Wilson, which is Matt Ryan. I'd also probably put Drew Brees uh, up there with Rodgers and Brady. But when you look at what Matt Ryan brings to the table when you're signing a franchise quarterback... Like, let's face it, what the 49ers are doing, and I support the contract, is a massive projection. That Jimmy Garoppolo, think about this, Jimmy Garoppolo's never gone into an off-season as a starter. Like, this, these OTAs that are coming up are the first ones he's ever manned as the starter. He's never started more than half the games in a regular season. He has seven career starts. And it was an easy signing. Same thing with Minnesota. Eighty-four. They didn't even flinch. They, they think they could win the Super Bowl with Kirk Cousins. Matt Ryan has made the playoffs six times. I, I forgot this, and I read it this week when he came into the organization. They were in absolute shambles with the the tidal wave of negativity that the Michael Vick drama. He had just gone to prison, and they had obviously, you know, crumbled. Bobby Petrino had bounced. They were in shambles. He saved the organization. And then he consistently... I know he never won a championship and he had his chances two years ago. You could blame Kyle Shanahan you know, with some of that. But when you look at a franchise quarterback that you are willing to pay huge cash for... Let's face it. He's played for two defensive coaches in Mike Smith and now uh, Dan Quinn. And I think Dan Quinn's excellent. He's had multiple offensive coordinators now in the last several years. This season actually might have been his best work. And I know people are like, God, he didn't look anywhere near. He had to, His offensive coordinator was Steve Sarkeesian. I think Steve Sarkeesian is one of the most overrated coordinators, offensive minds of this generation. He has been given job after job after job, and I don't know how. I do not think he's very good. Yet somehow, Matt Ryan, in the toughest division this year in the NFL, with Carolina and with New Orleans, made the playoffs, and then went on the road in the first game in the Wild Card weekend and won a road game where he threw two touchdowns and ran circles around the Rams and got him. To, and let's call it what it is. Also, the next round against the Super Bowl champs, he had them in the red zone with four plays to go, and his offensive coordinator pooped down his leg. <laughs> I mean, it was one of the most embarrassing displays of play calling I can ever remember. Like, what Matt Ryan is able to overcome with some of the people around him is incredible. They've never had great teams. You know, was it 2012 when they played the 49ers at home, and that that was, I would say, one of his worst losses just for, from a fan standpoint. You go, God, you're getting the NFC Championship game at home? Look at the two rosters. Now, I know he had Julio Jones that year, but compare Atlanta, that Atlanta Falcons team to the San Francisco 49ers team. It really wasn't that close. That San Francisco team was also led by Jim Harbaugh. He was working with Mike Smith. I, I really think Matt Ryan is an easy top five quarterback in the NFL. He's your classic, like most people on the outside. He's just not good enough. Except he basically goes to the playoffs at a rate higher than every other year of his career. In a division that now, the last several years, has one of the best quarterbacks ever in Drew Brees. The Carolina Panthers have been excellent under Ron Revere and Cam Newton. And the Bucs will just throw them out. I actually think the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are going to be better this season. But $100 million, I'd honestly say he might be underpaid at the end of the day. And when you really look at his impact for a franchise that was basically dead... After the Michael Vick, Bobby Petrino debacle, this run from 2008 to 2018, and really most people are going to pick them heading into the season to make the playoffs again, Uh, Matt Ryan earned every penny of that $100 million guaranteed. I, like many of you, love the NFL Draft. It's one of my favorite sporting events of the year. It's basically Wall Street with humans meets football. I mean, it's incredible. It's, it's everything I want in an event. And I, I've developed different philosophies from being in the league and now doing media and just studying the draft, being you know talking about the draft a lot. One of them, and I'll never flinch on now, is not taking a running back high. You know, probably I, I'm fluid with I, I would take one in the first round, but I wouldn't take one in the top 10. I would not, also not take a guard in the top 10. But I think I've also developed a new philosophy. Brandon Bean, the general manager of the Buffalo Bills, has, has been pretty candid. Uh, it's, been, it's refreshing when a, when a general manager, even post-draft, is very candid about his plans and what he was trying to do. And I think it's easy once you land your quarterback to just say how aggressive you were trying to land Josh Allen. And he talked about how he was calling Cleveland, you know, offering both ones and a couple twos, how they were doing the same with Denver, and obviously Indianapolis. All three of those teams turned him down. And I think my most basic philosophy, and hopefully one day, the more you know money we all make in life, you have more buying power and you can make moves, whether it's the stock market, whether it's buying real estate, you can diversify your portfolio. And if you had the opportunity, let's just say a first round pick or definitely a top five pick is like a million dollar home. Or you could have multiple homes that would be to me his pick 12 probably like a $600,000 home pick 22 would probably be closer to a $300,000 home and then his second rounder would be like a $100,000 home using this analogy here's the thing when you just get the one pick that million dollar home all of your chips are in on the table and invested into that one entity now if it's Khalil Mack if it's Aaron Donald You know, hell, Mike Evans, I I use that 2014 draft. It's one of the better first rounds in recent memory. You could have quadrupled your investment. You you drafted a potential Hall of Famer. You know, that million-dollar home turns into, like, a $4 million home. That's incredible. More than likely, though, the history of the draft, that's not what's happening. You may get a pro bowler, but you also may just end up with, you know, a functional starter. And to me, when all of your chips are in one player which is fine if you hit it and if you didn't have the opportunity to diversify your ability to land multiple players at a premium because if you're if you're getting multiple first round picks like definitely he said Cleveland and Denver were given the option your likelihood of you know hitting it out of the park with one of investing in the $400,000 home the $600,000 home Pick 12 or pick 23, to me, go up exponentially. Your chances of not missing because you got two swings are just higher than the one swing. Even though on film, in this example, the guy is a better prospect coming out of college. And it's why I love what Green Bay did. Green Bay was at 14. New Orleans was desperate for Marcus Davenport. They went back and they got a first round pick for next year. And they ended up kind of wheeling and dealing. Brian Gudekins actually looks like he's going to be pretty good and came back up and and got another player. But ultimately, next year, Green Bay is going to be in such a powerful position. Because if Aaron Rodgers stays healthy, they're going to be really good. But they're going to have two first-round picks. Even if it is the New Orleans Saints pick, and let's say both of them make the playoffs, like when it all started, the Buffalo Bills – Begin this draft process months ago with pick 22 and pick 23. Look what they were able to do. Look how much buying power they had. Now, they traded a player, and they got right to 12 with the Cincinnati Bengals because they flipped their left tackle. I mean, they were doing some wheeling and dealing. But having those two picks, having that wiggle room, gives you so much power in the draft. Now, you can try to take a big swing, and when you're in the top five, you, you should. And this was a draft that if you were especially Denver you were sitting there at five and because Baker Mayfield and Sam Darnold went off the board and I'd even throw Denzel Ward which was a little bit of a curveball three of the first four players were a little like whoa you know we're gonna get the second best player in this draft potentially on their draft board the first so I get taking them but if Denver's not a player away and they could have easily traded back had those two first-round picks. They already have a superstar in Von Miller to be able to trade up, and I don't know, maybe take Marcus Davenport at 12 if the gap wasn't that big. And at pick 23, you know, get the best corner on your board, get a wide receiver. I mean, the to me the op, get a offensive lineman. The the options are endless. Hell, take one of the sweet running backs. I don't know you would have had a ton of options. The chances that, let's just say, Marcus Davenport at 12 and Will Hernandez at pick 23, or hell, Isaiah Wynn, who went next to the Patriots, let's say you had got those two players. The chances that one of those two players, if not both of them become, one becomes a pro bowler and the other becomes a good starter, or if Bradley Chubb also becomes a pro bowler, I would rather have the pro bowler and the good starter. It's just basic math. Taking more swings, I I, I would always do this, man. It's why I I, I thought Green Bay had probably the best draft of any team because next year they are coming into this draft process the entire offseason with multiple ones. They can do so much, even if those picks turn out to be pick 25 and pick 26. They can package both of those picks and get in the top 10 and get a player if they want. They can package one of those picks and move up with their second rounder to do something else and still have an extra first round pick. They're gonna have so much wiggle room. And I think Elway, I get what he did because he had so much success once upon a time drafting Von Miller in the top five. History shows us that most players you draft super high don't turn out to be Von Miller. They they just don't. So I I think he made a mistake. I think the I definitely think Uh, The Cleveland Browns made a mistake by not trading back for an enormous package. And ultimately with the Indianapolis Colts, I thought they made a mistake just on the most basic level of, I can't take a guard in the top 10, especially when there were so many good guards in this draft that you could have easily gotten the 20s. I mean, they could have flipped pick six for 12 and 23 and potentially got a guard that's 90% of what the guy they took at number six overall. So again, the John Middlecoff philosophy, and I'm going to stand by this, anytime you have the opportunity in a draft to trade back and acquire multiple first-round picks, you have to do it. Okay, let's get to the rookie quarterbacks. You hear this word a lot in football, probably more than the other two major sports, just because legitimately there's a lot of jobs open. You know, football... Unlike baseball, you know, baseball platoons players. But for the most part, you know, your starting nine is set. Now, your pitcher changes, but your starting fielders doesn't change that much. Basketball, obviously, your starting five, especially on the good teams, never changes. In football, competition, when you head into a training camp, there are, even on good teams, multiple key positions. Maybe your second wide receiver, maybe a couple linemen, uh, maybe a starting defensive lineman, maybe a linebacker spot, a defensive back. There is legit competition on playoff-level teams, let alone the crappy teams, on all over the NFL. It's one of the great parts about the month of just all of training camp, is how many people are competing, not just for jobs to make the 53, but to actually start. Quarterback now is a little different, and we've seen different teams over the years handle the quarterback situation with kid gloves almost at times. But I think the best example of the last six, seven years was Pete Carroll. He paid a lot of money for Matt Flynn, who turned out to just not be a very good player, but also drafted Russell Wilson in the third round. So he wasn't even a first-round pick. But Pete Carroll's mantra and life philosophy of always compete and just competition at every position, every practice, every drill. He carried it over to the quarterback position. And they competed Russell's rookie year. And ultimately, Russ beat him out. It was kind of a seminal moment. And it dramatically shifted the last, you know, six, not even, I guess, what would that have been? Seven years ago, the group of quarterbacks from Carson Wentz. To Derek Carr, to you name it. They've all started playing. A lot of them began. Jameis Winston, Marcus Mariota started immediately. They they played as rookies. And if you didn't start immediately, like Derek Carr, Carson, you know Jameis Mariota, you you eased your way in, but you played early. The Blake Bortles, remember Teddy Bridgewater began starting a, as a rookie. These guys played Dak, sometimes because of injury. That's ultimately what happened with Carson Wentz, too. But the organization was prepared to throw that guy in there. When you look at this quarterback draft, I think there are two guys that I won't include in this. Obviously, Lamar Jackson with Joe Flacco, who I'm sure will get in once the football season starts. It wouldn't shock me if they're not playing well and they make a move. But Lamar Jackson is not going to be able to beat out Joe Flacco same with Josh Rosen Josh Rosen is not going to be able to beat out Sam Bradford unless Sam Bradford which we all know could easily get injured so if if Josh Rosen is starting week one it'll be because Sam Bradford got injured it won't I, I just don't envision him beating him out so there's no point in necessarily to have a quote-unquote quarterback competition the other three spots especially the guys that went number seven number three and number one Two of the teams are handling it completely different than the Cleveland Browns and Baker Mayfield. Brandon Bean said within the last week uh, on radio that, that Josh will start with the threes. He will start with the threes, which I have no problem with, but he will compete for the job, and he should. A.J. McCarron, first off, is not a very good player and has proven nothing that he should be giving a starting quarterback job on any team in the NFL. Todd Bowles recently said, like Josh Allen, Sam Darnold will start at the bottom of the depth chart. Again, I have no problem with that. Start him at number, you know, third, he'll probably end up being the two because they just got rid of Bryce Petty. Hackenberg stinks. But Josh McCown's going to be the starter, as he should be. But Sam Darnold is going to start out as a backup, or the third, depending on how they do it in camp. But he will have the opportunity, if he's better in training camp and this offseason, to to beat out the starter. To me, that's the Pete Carroll mindset. That is the healthiest way to do it. Compete. Unless you're coming into an organization with a legit starting quarterback, like a couple years ago when they drafted Jimmy Garoppolo, of course. Like, yeah, he's not going to be the starter. But in these situations, Josh Allen, Sam Darnold, and Baker Mayfield, every all three organizations should go about it the same way. Our guy is starting the last quarterback spot so either second or third on the depth chart but he will compete to be the starter yet for some reason which i just can't wrap my head around hugh jackson has reiterated multiple times he said this before the draft and then he doubled down after the draft that tyrod taylor is the starting quarterback he's acting like tyrod taylor is aaron Rodgers. what are we doing here you take a quarterback number one overall And again, like the other two organizations, I would start Tyrod Taylor with the ones. He would rep all offseason and heading into training camp with the starters. But under no circumstances, if I'm the Cleveland Browns head coach or if I'm John Dorsey and I do not allow Hugh Jackson to do this, I don't give a shit that he's the head coach. John Dorsey's in charge. He can tell Hugh Jackson what to do. This is an open quarterback competition. And when you make a statement like this, the the good thing that the Bills and the Jets have done, that if it's clear in training camp that Sam Darnold is just a much better player than Josh McCown, they can make a seamless transition. I don't think it's going to be as easy for Josh Allen. Not that A.J. McCarron is that challenging to beat out, but just because Josh Allen needs so much work to just outplay him. But if he does... Boom, Josh Allen's our starter week one or the third week of the preseason game. He's going to rep with the ones and have his opportunity to be the starter opening weekend. Instead, the Browns have doubled down and potentially made this a major issue because if Baker Mayfield is at worst hit Tyrod's equal in preseason games, the fans will not allow you to start Tyrod Taylor. You will have a quarterback controversy on your hands from the jump when all you had to say is Tyrod Taylor is our starter headed into training camp and the offseason. He will start with the ones. But Baker Mayfield, like every player on our team, will have the opportunity to win the job. He will compete for the starting quarterback position. Why would you not handle it like that? It slows down the outside noise. Because if anything, when you do something in concrete with a player that does not deserve it, and especially when you've just taken a guy number one overall, you've created this elephant in the room that everyone's just kind of watching. I saw it on a much different level, but Dennis Allens last year with the Oakland Raiders, terrible head coach, actually pretty good defensive coordinator, said over and over and over again, Matt Schaub is our starter. He said, it just like Hugh Jackson's doing, he set himself up. But then, in training camp and in the games, Matt Schaub was so terrible. And Derek was just solid. And it was clear by the fourth preseason game that they had to start Derek Carr. But because he had said so many times that Matt Schaub was a starting quarterback, and he reiterated it, he doubled down, he tripled down, then it became a very, very big deal when ultimately heading into week one, he benched Matt Schaub. Well, here's the thing. When it comes to the Jets and when it comes to the, uh, the Buffalo Bills, they won't have to quote unquote bench anyone. They'll just name a starter whoever beat them out. But the way the Cleveland Browns have handled this, they will technically have to bench Tyrod Taylor and make... Baker Mayfield, the starter, if he beats him out, when all they had to do is leave it open-ended. We'll go in every practice. We'll just compete. We'll just compete. It's It, it really is a pretty genius kind of coaching cliche that Pete Carroll's been using forever that he never sets himself up against, you know, a wall and where he kind of has to fight out of it. He's just always open-ended. We're just competing. The best guy will play. When you say it like that. Now, once you get to a point, you know, where the guy established himself and you're Philip Rivers or, you know, Drew Brees or whoever, yeah, you're just the starter. Russell Wilson, you know, now even with some of the younger guys, Derek Carr, Marcus Mariota, Jameis, yeah, then you just, that guy's our starter. That's clear. But when you have these situations with stopgap starting quarterbacks, it's a no-brainer. It's an easy one. It's a BP fastball. Todd Bowles handled it with ease. Josh McCown's our starter, but will be open-minded if Sam Darnold beats him out, then he'll become the starter. Same thing with Buffalo, which will be more difficult just because I I think Josh Allen could have a rough preseason. But, yeah, yeah, I'm prepared to be wrong. But A.J. McCarron's our starter. But, again, if Josh Allen plays better, Josh will be the starter. Yet the Cleveland Browns that always have this outside noise kind of surrounding them were given such an easy situation to handle, and they've already botched it from the jump. And it's going to become such a bigger deal because everyone's going to want Baker Mayfield to start just to begin with. Why wouldn't you? He's the number one overall pick. But then if it becomes clear that he's outplaying Tyrod Taylor, or again, just his equal, it's going to become one of the bigger co- quarterback controversies and talking points in the league. And it was so unnecessary. And this is why Hugh Jackson, I mean, you you can. the time is ticking. Because I think at the end of the season, when the last game ends and they win three, four, five games, he is one hundred percent. Like he, Hugh Jackson's not even on the hot seat. He will be fired at the end of the year unless they, you know, somehow like make the playoffs. It's inevitable. There is no chance that Hugh Jackson's going to be the coach when the year ends. And I, I I'm a little shocked that John Dorsey's allowing this to happen because it really doesn't make much sense. Always have quarterback competitions when your starter is a bridge and you draft a guy in the top 10. Because more than likely, we see it time in and time out, the young guy is going to be the better player and beat him out when all the dust settles. Okay, let's get to my favorite part of the podcast, the questions from the listeners, iTunes. Again, you can always leave your questions. Go to subscribe, subscribe to the podcast, rate it, And then in the review section, leave a question. Got an excellent question here. First kind of actually preview of future draft players. I don't know if this guy's a draft pick, but actually might be. But let's dive into it. From Pat McDonald, does Trace McSorley, the Penn State quarterback, comp to Baker Mayfield? Will he be a first first rounder if he is productive again? And I I looked at, I've obviously watched his career because of Saquon Barkley. I just went back on YouTube and just watched his arm strength a little bit. The first thing that jumps out to me is his arm is not as strong as Baker's. Uh, The other thing is he has 18 turnovers in his career. And really, 18 turnovers the last two years that he's been the full-time starter. the last two years. Baker Mayfield had 21 in his three at Oklahoma. So he didn't turn the ball over as much. Now, obviously, he played with Saquon Barkley. Uh, this year, with him gone, he's going to have the opportunity to you know, help his stock a lot. But like Baker, he's undersized. He's a better athlete than Baker. If you just watch him, he tucks the ball, keeps it, and runs a lot more, which is not necessarily a positive. The thing that Baker really had going for him, I mean, he ended up being the number one overall pick, but that he was a pocket quarterback. And I think when you look at Trace McSorley, is he a natural pocket quarterback? That that'll be the big question. He does not have a big time arm, or just I would even say an above average arm. Like Baker's to me, his arm strength, it's something John Dorsey said over and over, the just the arm talent is there. And that made Baker pretty special on top of his elite accuracy, which when you're an undersized guy at six feet tall, you have to be, you know, a big time accurate player. And if you look at McSorley, two years ago in 2016, he was 50, basically 58% in that spread offense, which is not great. This year he was a lot better, uh, about 66.5%. If he does that again, I do think he might become a draftable player. But I guess I can't say you completely write him off because I would have said Baker Mayfield is like a third or fourth round pick heading into a senior year. I think it will be very challenging for McSorley to have the same type rise as Baker. When you think about it, Baker lost uh, Joe Mixon, Samaji P. Ryan, Sterling Shepard, DD Westbrook, and that team that he took with all those guys gone, he took a team to the playoffs. And I, I really thought they were the best team in the country, probably beside Alabama. Uh, ultimately, they lost in that final four game to Georgia. But he was, it was like a basketball team with one dude just carrying them. So I, if Trace McSorley has an enormous year, Penn State makes it to the playoffs, obviously losing Saquon Barkley, I would never say never. But I, I don't see that many similarities beside an undersized guy, Trace Better athlete, with Baker Mayfield. I, I like this question, uh, let me find it, from Kobe D. He's, I think he's asked a couple questions. Now that the draft is over and no football is being played, what happens next for a scout? And let's just say the scouts, college and pro. Do they look at film on next year's prospects from this past year, etc.? What, what do they do? I think it depends. If you're a pro scout, as you work in the office, you know you basically work hand-in-hand with the coaching staff, you're pretty busy because right now there are still a ton of street-free agents Older guys that you're bringing in, maybe running workouts. Uh, Derek Johnson, for example, just signed with the Oakland Raiders. There's a list of guys at every position right now that are available, uh, that are veteran players. Like Derek, for linebacker, for example, it would have been Navarro Bowman, Derek Johnson, players of that level. Uh, you know, running back, a guy like Demarco Murray. You're bringing those guys into your organization. Sometimes, uh, players of those stature aren't typically working out for you. Uh, But you're meeting with the coaching staff and you're doing that, you know, basically at least a couple times a week, bringing street free agents into your organization and developing lists of guys that if you have an injury in OTAs, you can immediately sign someone. And you're also evaluating every day at OTA practice, usually come back as a staff and watch practice together. And kind of isolating, not just on you know your starters, but more on some of the fringe undrafted free agent, late round draft picks. How they compare, you know, to your veteran players on your own team. You're scouring the internet, you know, kind of gathering and keeping an eye on teams that you're gonna play, teams in your division, players that late round draft picks, how they're doing in these camps. Uh, it's actually a pretty busy time for pro scouts. Maybe not. You're only working three or four days a week. Uh, usually get three-day weekends but when you're at the office there's a lot going on for college scouts the usually the couple weeks after the draft are pretty chill you're really not doing anything Uh, I would say within the next month you'll get a list of the seniors and you have a pretty good idea in your area the young sophomores that are going to be juniors you know that will be underclassmen that are top couple round picks and you'll just start slowly kind of easing in you have the entire summer up until training camp to kind of get some initial grades on those guys and maybe you know start working your contacts and getting some background information on some of those guys to make it a little easier when you hit the road i mean you you got a couple months so this, this is actually a, a a pretty chill time for most college scouts unless i've always heard the for the New England Patriots is actually pretty busy like their scouts watch a ton uh, of college film right now I mean they're just they're running circles around the league they're just always so ahead uh I, it might be a little bit of a waste of time who's to tell that Bill Belichick's doing it wrong but but I know that they spend a lot of time and, and do a lot of work on uh, on getting ready for next year so I, I think it's personal preference some guys have watched a lot of film and take good side notes you know while they've watched underclassmen. I know in my experience, I was just so focused on the guys that were coming out. I, I didn't really mess with, you know, freshmen or sophomores. Some teams do, though. Uh, every team's a little different because some teams like to set their board right now. I mean, a very, very loose board, obviously, for next year and just get a somewhat of an idea, like what's the first and second and third round kind of, of elite players looking like so you know – when you're approaching free agency, how you're going to approach it this year. You're just you're always trying to work from a position of strength, not a position where you have to react to everything. So the, the farther you can get ahead, uh, the, the easier it makes everything. This is a pretty good question. What do you think of the Vikings passing on a guard at the end of the first round and going with DB Mike Hughes on the fence about the pick? This is from Schmitty84, especially with James Daniels and Will Hernandez sitting there. I think this is a hard balance. Talking to some people in Minnesota, I knew that obviously they loved offensive linemen. I I thought they were going to take an offensive lineman. They loved the guy that Detroit ended up picking, Ragnow, uh, from Arkansas. But I, I think there's a balance, and this is why their general manager, Spielman, has kind of established himself as one of the better talent evaluators in the league because they clearly need interior offensive linemen, just offensive linemen in general the last several years. But when you force a need pick, that's usually when you screw up in the draft. To me, this simply says that they have an organizational philosophy that we take the best available player on the board. And when they picked, toward the end of the first round, Mike Hughes was the best player on their board. And that's what they did. And I'll say this. If you're going to kind of bypass a need and take a position – it better be a position like a a premium position. They have an abundance of linebackers. If they would have taken a linebacker and just because a linebacker was the best player on the board, I would have been like, uh, eh, I I don't love it. But they have a legit corner, Xavier Rhodes. Other than that, do they have a corner where you go, you know, that that's a legitimate defensive backfield? I don't think you would. Mackenzie Alexander has been a little hit or miss. To me, Trey Wayne's. I, I'm pretty sure they picked up his fifth year option. I I he's not very good. To me, if Mike Hughes, if you can find your other starting corner that becomes a high-level starter, you're in pretty good shape because you can never have enough corners. I mean, look at the Denver Broncos several years ago. Look at even this year with Bill Belichick. Obviously, that Malcolm Butler was kind of in flux all season, but he went out and he got Gilmore, who was kind of underwhelming. But then when push came to shove in the playoffs, he started making big plays. Having two corners, most teams, most good teams have one good corner. And usually, that guy's a star, like a Patrick Peterson or a Richard Sherman or you know Carolina with Josh Norman. And they're constantly looking for the second. If you're a team that can have just two really good corners, let alone three, you're in great shape. Especially with Minnesota, when the front seven's so good, if you can cover because they also have good safety. I mean, how good's Harrison Smith? So if you can develop two good corners, you just look at it like how are they? How are the Minnesota? Vikings gonna win a Super Bowl. Obviously, paying Kirk Cousins all that money, you'd say, well, their offense is gonna be better in the big moments. They're not gonna lay an egg like they did against uh the Philadelphia Eagles. But also you'd say they, they couldn't cover the Eagles. So you got to be able to cover in the NFC. Because how are you gonna win the NFC, which to me is dramatically better than the AFC? You gotta beat Drew Brees, you gotta beat Carson Wentz, uh, you gotta beat Cam Newton. You're going to have to beat Jared Goff and Sean McVay. You're going to have to beat Jimmy Garoppolo. You're going to have to beat Aaron Rodgers. Like, you got to cover. you got to get pressure, but you also have to be able to cover. So, at the end of the day, if you are going to bypass a need in the first round, and you are going to go with the best play available, I love it when you go with a premium position. I want to thank everyone for listening again. I appreciate every single one of you. You're the reason why this thing goes on. Uh, You're making Colin Coward and the Podcast Network expand every day by listening to these podcasts, and I really appreciate it. Again, you can always, you can find this podcast everywhere you you get your podcast. If you listen on iTunes, subscribe, rate, and in the review section, leave a question, and I will get to it on every show. You guys have been crushing it so far. Uh, It's one of the coolest parts one of my favorite parts honestly uh, of doing this so again thanks again for listening to three and out with John Middlecoff and I will see you next week
0: all state wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere like at your pregame barbecue while you prep your meats That grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions.
1: With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at welshfargo.com slash cash. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based, live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Time sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com/slash/credit card.
0: This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride with some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love. You transformed a hundred thousand miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits.